it's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by Flick composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Programme. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Tom Sumner Program, and uh, we got a great one in store. In fact, um, we're going to try and stick to one of the things we try to do, and that's start the weekend early with a little entertainment uh focus in the 11 o'clock hour. So coming up in the third half of our three-hour tour this morning, we're going to talk with, uh, she is um, an actor. Um, She was the first uh, Indian American to compete at Miss USA, and she has a, a starring lead role in a globally released film called Jungle Cry, which is coming out this month. It, it should be, um, well, it'll be available in uh, the UAE, US, Canada, UK, Germany, France, Australia, New Zealand, Singapore, Russia, South Africa. It's going to be part of a um, really a global uh, production, as I mentioned, but it's partnership between. Uh, um, or, or at least it's produced by a company called Bollywood Hollywood Productions. And uh, Emily um, Shaw is the actor's name. And she's going to join us uh, coming up during the 11 o'clock hour today. Um, her uh, dad is um, somewhat famous as a Bollywood producer. We'll talk about that and the movie and all kinds of good stuff with um, Emily Shaw when she uh, joins me coming up a little later. In the middle of our three-hour tour, we're going to talk to a guy. And this this is interesting. He sort of blends um, his uh, Christianity into... Um, sort of dystopian thrillers um and and this one uh he has a new book it's uh book one of what i think is going to be a trilogy called uh, iviana last daughter of atlantis book one how the world ended a millennia ago it's written by don cook a real interesting guy and uh, that's coming up as I say, in about an hour or so. But we're going to start out um, first thing this morning in an interesting conversation. Um, let's see. Uh, 
I, I just saw something in my notes that distracted me a little bit about the Cliff Dwellers Club, but uh, Patricia Ricketts, or Trish, as she's uh, or Trisha, as she's uh, often referred to, um, will be joining me uh, coming up in just just under a minute to talk about her uh, her book, which is called Speed of Dark, which is a little bit of a play on words. You know over speed of light but uh, but anyway uh, should be a fun uh, fun show in store for this uh, first Friday in June I can't believe how fast the time is going people also uh, if anybody happens to be listening that was uh, out at uh, Flanagan's in Lapeer last night thanks for coming by we had a great time I was uh, with Jim Bach and Adam Rao, and uh, who else? Um, well, you don't need to know that. Anyway, we uh, we are going to move along now and get into my conversation with uh, author Trisha Ricketts. Hey, welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program. I guess this hour is uh, the author of a, uh, a new novel um, called Speed of Dark that, um, oh, where did I see it? It, uh, oh, it, it combines the themes of grief, ecology, and race. So I, I have a feeling that... Uh, this is going to be a very serious conversation with the author of Speed of Dark, Patricia Ricketts, who joins me by phone. Tricia, good morning, and welcome to the show. Good morning, Tom, and thank you for having me. I am thrilled to be here. Okay, let me ask you about the title of this book. Is it, in fact, the flip side of Speed of Light? As a matter of fact, you are so smart. So there really is a strong um, motif, I guess you could say, throughout the novel of the wrestling between light and dark. And so the title kind of came to me as the antithesis of the speed of light, which is very fast. The speed of dark is... I understand it. It can come on fast, but it's more an encroaching presence. So there's a lot of wrestle. And, and to this point, the, the beginning of the book starts on the uh, vernal equinox, which is the day the planet kind of wrestles between night and day. And I thought that was kind of meaningful. I don't know that that would be important to anybody else, but it made sense that I just kind of followed that along as people went from dark to light. Tricia, how, how does grief, ecology, and race all want, work together in this particular story? Well, um, I, I actually have never thought of it until right now that putting those three themes through come through the three narrator voices of this novel. And they are Mary M. Phillips, a 50-year-old white woman who has lost all that she loves in her life. There, therein lies the grief. 
uh, Mosley Albright, who is a 55-year-old black man, and he, of course, has experienced uh, issues of race and uh, even isolation and certainly castigation. And then the third voice is Lake Michigan, Michigami, who bemoans the loss of his health um, through human encroachment of plastics and pollution and runoffs, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So each of them bemoans the fact that they have are suffering some form of grief and loss. And the novel is really a journey to reach some kind of redemption or or some kind of healing, say. It it almost sounds as though this concept of the speed of dark is about darkness chasing these narrators. Yes. And they combine, the three of them, certainly in the climax of the novel, and actually there's an epilogue, too, where, where they all three come together in a very meaningful way. And um, I... I think it. You, I couldn't really call it a book of fantasy. I, I like the word better, a magical realism, to bring the character of Lake Michigan as a real entity. And I guess I, I hope I'm not babbling too much, but one of the reasons I, I did that was when I, as the old expression goes, walked around inside the moccasins of another entity's being, which was Lake Michigan, I came to understand and be sensitized to what the issues really, really are. And I think that's important for us as human beings, not to be this hierarchical uh, royalty on top of the planet, but cohabitants as we share this biosphere Earth. Where are you from? I, am, I was born and raised in Evanston, Illinois, which is the first suburb north of Chicago. Okay. Um, and, and the reason I ask is because I, my show's based in Flint, Michigan, and I've, I've spent a lot of time um, in and on and around uh, Lake Michigan, but I've never been able to get it to talk. <laughs> How did you manage? Well, <laughs> I, I, from early on, little girl times, we went to Lake Michigan all the time. We lived quite close. And um, whenever I would dive into it, and back in the day, it seemed like it was a lot colder than it is nowadays. But anyway, I would feel a thrill, and I would feel an immersion into something that was larger than I was, different than just, you know, walking through the air or taking deep breaths or whatever it would be. This was a uh, communion, if you will. And even even young, I would not have been able to put those words to it. But I knew that something within my spirit expanded out to the depth and breadth of this amazing resource. So when I, and and Michigami is quite the character, if I do say so myself. He <laughs> speaks in French phrases. He's snarky. He's a little threatening, and he certainly feels threatened. 
and he has fallen in love with Mary M., the uh, protagonist, really, of the novel. And he wants her to be his champion to assist him in getting out of his um, climactic, I guess you could say, uh, or climatic, excuse me, you know, his, uh, his grief, his worries. This is um, a little off topic, and we'll get back to the book um, again in, in a few minutes. But sure. I wanted to ask you about this um, this club, the Cliff Dwellers Club. Uh-huh. What, oh. what is that? Well, the Cliff Dwellers Club, uh, its physical presence, is directly across the street from the Art Institute of Chicago, which is 200 South Michigan Avenue. It was uh, instigated back in 1907 by Hamlin Garland, who was a turn-of-the-century poet and and quite well-read, apparently, and a man named Emmett uh, Dedman, who was the editor of both the Chicago Sun-Times and the Chicago Daily News. And they... um, Decided, I think Hamlin Garland had been a New York resident, and there was this arts, literary and, and arts club in New York, and he wanted to duplicate that, have a place for people to meet, architects, artists, writers, poets, sculptors, um, so they could, I guess, tout their, their art and to discuss it and to have ceremony like um, Tchaikovsky was fetid there one night, and um, uh, Keats was also there. Uh, Rachel Lindsay, the, the poet who, I, I did a little research on this just because I found it so interesting. I knew he was a poet because I was an English teacher forever, but he was someone who walked from Chicago to Ohio and then to Miami and then and the way he survived, even though he came from a, a well-heeled family who wanted him to be a doctor, he would exchange, he called it, poems for bread. And that's how he made his way as he traveled. So very, and Carl Sandburg was, was a, um, a member, as was Roger Ebert, to be famed and much beloved uh, film critic here in Chicago. So it has quite... A provenance, really, and um, so the club at least had one thumbs up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and exactly, exactly. Thank you. And um, but its situation is truly magnificent because it's the penthouse space on the twenty-second floor with a balcony that overlooks. Uh, the Art Institute, Millennium Park with the Bean and the Maggie Daly Park and Navy Pier and them, which I love, the wonderful expanse of Lake Michigan. So it's really something to be up there. You should come. I really should. I, and I I have visited Chicago a lot. I've I've been in that neighborhood many, many times. Well, um, come on up. I'll buy you a glass of wine. Sounds or good. Beer. Sounds good. Um, more with author Patricia Ricketts straight ahead. Hello out there, everybody. It's me, Tigger. T-I-double-G-R. That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs> 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines, since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Lions. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's, that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview always. You, you, <laughs> it's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air, where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums, where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses, and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. Babies come with lots of decisions. Cloth or disposable? Crib or bassinet? So when it comes to protection, go with the safest, most effective choice, vaccination. Get all the recommended vaccines for your baby by age two to protect your child against 14 serious childhood diseases. For more reasons to vaccinate, talk to your child's doctor. Go to cdc.gov vaccines or call 800-CDC-INFO. A message from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention.
This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. More with author Patricia Ricketts, straight ahead. At, at that particular club, um, and, and I don't want to spend too much time on this. I don't want to dwell on it. <laughs> um, the, I, I wonder, and this is just because of, of some speculation and, and imaginings of my own about sort of... Uh, different periods in history and and how art has influenced science and commerce at various times in history when you know when there's a a big renaissance in art then Mm -hmm. not very long after that we have an industrial revolution and you know these kinds of things sort of go together and i wonder and and maybe this is something the cliff dwellers do in a more contemporary way if there isn't some talk about what the next new thing should be that's a very interesting question and i i don't have the answer and and i'm not trying to put you on the spot trisha at all Well, that's okay that's okay i i think it's a beautiful concept really And, and you know the pendulum swings between Art and science, I think that is true in, in so many different genres and fields. And, and what trends, if I <laughs> could use a trending term. But, um, but people who come, well, here's where one of those joins. There are many members who are architects, which I think is a, a beautiful uh, combination of art and science, really. And, um, and they host dinners and there are readings and... People come up there to play jazz, and, and I don't know what the next movement, if you will, would be, but um, I love being a member of this club because it's saying that I am a firm believer in that art is something that absolutely lasts and, and makes us even more human. And so this club uh, tends to foster that. Well, like I say, I just I just wonder if if thirty years ago they weren't up there talking about uh, you know a valley in California that was going to you know change the way computers impacted the world, or if they were talking about sure. you know electric cars or autonomous vehicles, uh, you know just just sort of thinking what might happen, you know. And I wonder when you get great minds together what kinds mm-hmm. of things they are likely to speculate about. That's very interesting. And I think uh, those kinds of discussions do happen as a result of there are book launches there, uh, one of which was mine. Um, oh, nice. But also uh, Peter Nolan, Peter Nolan, uh, who was a, a, I hate to say I'm not sure which of the, uh, the Chicago stations he was, but Rick Kogan interviewed him up there. And he had just written a book about Harold Washington. So those kinds of um, issues do come up as people discuss uh, different books. There's a book club that occurs every Saturday. I like once a month on Saturdays. So they have 12 books a year, and usually they pick very interesting topics. Sometimes they go back to the classics, and sometimes they're they're contemporary uh, books of fiction or nonfiction. And so the... The topics, I would imagine, do branch out into those very things because 
I think books tend to wrestle with those kinds of things, thoughts, anyway. How did you get um, the notion and, and, and the ideas that went into writing this book, Speed of Dark? How did those things come together in your mind? Was there a eureka moment, something you said or saw or read, and, and you just thought to yourself, this is a book? Well, a couple of things happened. I had a very um, profound an image that resonated with me, and it was a woman sitting at her kitchen table having lost everything and telling herself, this is the day I'm going to end it all. Now, I am by nature a really upbeat, happy person. And when I shared that with my own mother, who is still alive, she said, oh, my God, Tricia, <laughs> don't even go there. She was ready to but start was, an intervention, it sounds like. Oh, yeah, she was so worried for me. And I said, no, this is about healing somehow. And, and I knew that that was as profound depth of grief or sorrow that one could have would be to lose your the woman who raised you, your husband, and your beloved son. And that's right at the beginning of the book, so I'm not telling anything that happens later on. That's, that's, it's kind of like King Lear. You know, he starts at the top and whoop, <laughs> it all goes down from there. But um, so... So I had that. And then the other, uh, you said kind of an aha moment, I was in a writing group for a while, and I had actually uh, housed this in a uh, betting bargain between God, who was a woman, of course, and the king of the under the netherworld, and they they cast bets to who, see who who was uh, who conversely was a man of course of course <laughs> <laughs> caught you I just thought let's, <laughs> let's turn this upside down here so anyway so this idea was really fun to me that they were going to like trying to intrude in her journey as she was was she going to do it was she not going to do it. And But they have this whole other world, you know, going at the afterlife, if you will. Well, in my book group, they said, you know what, this isn't cutting it. Well, I, I think, one, I think there's really some benefit in there that I may take up at, at a later point. But I got rid of all that. But I like, like the idea of something mystical, something that was beyond the science, if you will, the logic and linear thinking that I think we humans tend to fall into when all else fails. And I, it, came, it did come to me, and I could not tell you why. I'm a discovery director. So as I write, I just let things kind of flow. And, for example, there's one little funny character who comes in on the train. She came up, you know, like in cartoons, how they go poof, and, and you have yeah. a character appear or disappear. It was just like that. And, and then she kept appearing. And I thought, okay, you're in. So 
I, I guess there's something on an intuitive level or, you know, I'm shying away from the word just spiritual level, but, but things would just come to me. And like Annie Lamont says, when you're drafting something, she says, they're like your children in a playground. Just let them run out and play. So I did. And, and then, of course, in drafting, I, I did start to hone and cut. But that first rollout or those rolling outs, if you will, um, I just let them have their, their heads. Well, and, and it sounds like there was um, a, a real desire to include something if not supernatural, extra natural. Yes. Because I, I and I guess it's because when someone is grieving so terribly, it things don't make you feel better. It's other people and their warmth and their love or things of the spirit. And so this Mary M, she does call on so much of that. She's lost. She's lost faith too. I mean, that's another thing that she has lost. So, um, I, I don't know. I've read uh, a lot of Toni Morrison, and uh, I, I don't know if you're familiar with her novel Beloved, but Beloved is totally uh, a spiritual entity, but very, very real in that novel. And I thought, yeah, I. I believe that's true. And, and the other thing that I really do believe is true is that I, I think I'm kind of Native American in, in thought, word, and deed, I guess you could say, that other entities on this planet really have spirits. And, and um, we should honor and, and treat those entities, whether they're creature, just non-human, non, uh, like animals and plants and things, or even rocks and stones, that there's a, we can have a reverence for what is, and rather than saying, we're better, we use. How does race enter into this? I think, I, I don't believe I ever used that word. Uh, more the word of spirit, but there's a lot of the grace of her, her Mamie, it's the name she gave her grandmother, who comes in to her mind and bolsters her at different times. She keeps pleading, and you could call it a prayer, help me, Mamie, help me. And her memories of her beloved son, Petey, he whispers into her consciousness often, Mom, are you really going to go? And if you do, there'll be no one around to further my memory. You know, those kinds of things. So I see that as a form of grace. Oh, no, no. I said race. I'm sorry. What was the word? Race. Oh, race. Well, you've got a very full answer for grace, and now I'll go to grace. race. <laughs> um, well, uh, when Mary Ann is sitting at her kitchen table that first morning, 
this Mosley Albright comes to her back door because he has spent the night previously out in the woods right behind her home. And um, he's cold, he's, he's hungry, but what he most needs is a drink of water. So he knocks on her back door and she goes to answer it and she immediately becomes afraid. So all of, not all of, but bias about seeing a black man in a mostly white neighborhood brought up her fears, her misunderstandings that I think many people who don't have friends who are black or brown or, you know, from other cultures, that they feel. And so they end up on the same train together. And we hear his backstory about his experience as a black man trying to get a ride in 1968 through uh, Indiana, you know, Hitchin. And, and so the, there is a, what shall I say, a, a, I think it's beautiful. They're learning to, I, I'm just going to say love, not necessarily in any romantic way, but to love and respect each other that comes through the book. And certainly the pinnacle of that is in the epilogue. Dare I ask how how the lake and, and ecology play out in their uh, in, in their relationship or in the, the story as it rolls on? Yes, and I'm going to try to do that without getting away, um, you know, big plot points. Yeah, I, d I don't want to uh, bring up any spoiler alerts, but... Um, but I just, I just wonder how that, that third well, piece works its way in. Okay, um, Mishigami is his loss. Of course, is the loss of the health that he experienced less than two hundred years ago, before lumber and barges and the St. Lawrence Seaway was opened up and bringing invasive species and. Uh, polluting from the steel mills in Indiana and the spills that came out of, intentional spills, by the way, that came out of Milwaukee and Waukegan. And so he bemoans the fact that he is dying. And that was true. I have set the book in Y2K, and, it, and this is a sidebar. And the reason I did that is I didn't want to have to deal with cell phones. So... Um, <laughs> <laughs> you can read. Are to you that, familiar with Mary Hagen's Clark? Yes, I am. I haven't read one of hers in a long time. Well, she passed away a couple of years ago, but she had been on my show several times. Okay, and I, I just delighted in in talking with her. She had no idea who I was, but she always talked about how much fun it was to spend time with me. And well. Yes, you're very said, nice, and your voice is, is warm and friendly. She uh, started talking about how uh, how much of a Luddite she was. She just wasn't real good with technology. In fact, she even had, uh, I think one of her children was typing her 
manuscripts on the computer for. And um, wow! And I and wish I could get one of those. And and I and I asked her. I said, "Well, but I've read a couple of your books that have technology in them. How do you, how do you write about technology if you don't know very much about technology?" She said, "I got a guy." <laughs> oh, I can so relate. I wouldn't consider myself a luddite. I mean, I, I was a high school English teacher forever. So, you know, just because you're in the classroom. They're constantly um, giving workshops and in-services on the latest technology, et cetera, sure. et cetera. Sure, But the, the cell phone has become such a presence in our society, I feel, that it, it would pull away from what it was that I wanted to show was this very human and, and human-to-nature interaction. And so it's so back a little bit to Michigami, um, he decides that he wants to make um, Mary M. his champion, that somehow she is going to bring to light his plight with this, with this uh, sickened uh, situation that he finds himself in, where there used to be sturgeon, you know, so many of them, up to 200 pounds floating in his, or swimming in his waters, and Lots and lots of uh, trout and salmon, and, and the numbers are, and they still are, they're way down. So, um, and the algal blooms that take place in the in the slower waters, and because the tributaries, you know, bring in all kinds of uh, runoff from farms and even people's lawns. And so, and the latest of which is, of course, the microfibers that come off plastics, which they're finding, of course, in, in the... Um, the, the uh, plant cycle, and even in human blood, I've just read recently. So I just thought, if, if this is another huge loss, and, it, and it's a message, I think, of the book, to we need to wake up. We need to be aware. You know, because, I want to, um, before we run out of time, and, and I can't believe how fast the time is going, Tricia, but you said something about um, being an English teacher, and and you also said something about letting some of your ideas run free, sort of paraphrasing uh, Anne, mm-hmm. La- Anne Lamott. And it it made me wonder, and, and I wanted to ask before we run out of time, do you think the fact that you were an English teacher allowed you to let your ideas run a little more free because you have structure sort of built in? Oh, that's a good observation. Probably, yes. And because I taught the advanced placement uh, composition kids and advanced composition, and mostly they're all seniors, I was teaching them things like, you know, word choice and mixed metaphors and uh, cadence even within a, a sentence. And so you're right. I think because that was so in me for so many years, it kind of, Slow it out. Well, we're going to have to wrap it up here, and I, I uh, <laughs> feel like we've just scratched the surface. Um, my guest is uh, Patricia Ricketts, the author of Speed of Dark. Tricia, I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and your work, past, present, and future. Um, do you have a website you'd like to share? 
I do. And it is Patricia J. Ricketts, just the initial J. Ricketts, there's no spaces, dot com. And uh, so I keep telling people without alluding to uh, marijuana, don't forget the J. So it's patriciajricketts.com. <laughs> and uh, I have uh, events there, and I have uh, blogs and essays and poetry and my bio. And I think it's it, my niece has, has been my webmaster. She did a fabulous job. And so uh, I think people might enjoy perusing that. Well, Tricia, thank you so much for spending this time with me and the listeners this morning. And, um, Keep up the good work. Thank you, Tom. It's really been a pleasure being here. You're just a wonderful interviewer. Oh, thank you. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Again, that was uh, Patricia Ricketts, author of Speed of Dark, and we'll have more of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead. Outside.
Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans, and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, to hug her and see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Ranger Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Yo, speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed. It's a robocall. Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, file a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it, you're busy. But you know Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. It's 2022, and this year the Tom Sumner Program begins its 15th year. It would not be here without support through the years from individuals and organizations like these. Seth David Radwell. East Village Magazine. Flint Institute of Music. Hello, I'm Maestro Ricky DeMeg. Flint Community Schools. MTA Flint. Flint Comics and Entertainment. Hamity Complete Food Center. The Flint River Watershed Coalition. W.H. Weiscarver. The Genesee County Road Commission. Loan Museum Auto Fair. Thomas Appliance. The Genesee Health Plan, Flipflip Technology, My Community College, Pure Michigan. Friends on Facebook have also helped by contributing to the show's online fundraisers two or three times a year. If you would like to help the Tom Sumner program continue to thrive by becoming a sponsor, send an email of interest to Tom at TomSumnerProgram.com. Add your name to the list of supporters, past, present, and future. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology.
Hey, this is First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Ladies and gentlemen, in Philip Rapp's creation, The Bickersons. <laughs> Like most married women, Blanche Bickerson is a romanticist. Having talked poor husband John into taking her on a second honeymoon, three o'clock in the morning finds Mrs. Bickerson in the lobby of a small hotel at Niagara Falls. Exhausted and bleary-eyed from the long drive, John Bickerson unloads the luggage outside as his wide-awake wife talks to the night clerk. Let's listen. It doesn't really matter about the room as long as we have a nice view of the falls. Yes, ma'am. I'll bet you don't remember me. No, ma'am. Well, I wouldn't expect you to with all the honeymoon couples you meet. I was here seven years ago. Is that so? Yes. Well, better luck this time. Oh, we're still married to each other. We're just having a second honeymoon. Do many people do that? No, ma'am. I wonder why. I wouldn't know, ma'am. Are you married? No, ma'am. Arthritis makes me walk this way. Will you please sign the register? Oh, I'm sorry. Last time we were here, we had to wait two days for a room. We stayed in a motel in Buffalo. Oh, here you are. Thank you. Is that Bickerson? Yes. Didn't I sign it right? Yes, ma'am. Mrs. John Bickerson and husband. Here's the key. Room 318. There's the automatic elevator over there. We don't have any bellboys at night. Oh, that's all right. I'll go out to the car and get my husband. John, where is he? He's not in the car. I wonder if he took the luggage out of the trunk. Good heavens! John, get out of that trunk, you darned fool! John, John, John! Blanche, 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 shut the door. There's a draft. Out of that thing. All right, all right, all right. Don't pull. Ow, my hand. Oh, serves you right. Pick up that luggage and straighten yourself up. Ow. I don't want you to go in that nice hotel looking like a ragamuffin. It's a nice muffin. Um, grab a couple of these bags, will you, Blanche? No. It wouldn't look right on our honeymoon. Come on. Oh, my back. Where's the bellboy? We don't have any at night. Are you the clerk? Yes, sir. Where's the register? I, I want a room with a bed. I've already signed it. You've got a room. Good. Where are you going to sleep? Come on, John. Stop dragging your feet. I just drove 2,000 miles for a second honeymoon. Lead me to my room. You had to talk like that in front of the clerk. Oh, let me sleep, will you, Blanche? I'd just like to go one place with you that you didn't embarrass and humiliate me. You've been unbearable since we left home. Keep going. In here? Yes. Pull the bags in so I can shut the door. No windows? No nothing? How much do they get for this broken-down room? This is the elevator. <laughs> Oh, well, push the button or something and get it started. I can't keep my eyes open another minute. I was afraid this would happen. I'd hoped that going on a second honeymoon would bring us closer together. Can't get much closer than this, unless you throw the luggage out. Every time I want you to be romantic, you're so distant, John. 
What is keeping us apart? The brown suitcase. What floor are we on? I'm sleepy. You're always sleepy. When you're not sleepy, you're humiliating me. I'll never be able to face that night clerk in the morning. You won't have to. Why not? There'll be a day clerk. Which way is the room? I don't know, and I don't care. I'm going to stay in the elevator. Oh, come on, will you, Blanche? Well, say you're sorry. I'm sorry. Now, where's the room? Right in front of you, 318. Well, open the door before I collapse. Thank heaven. I got to get some sleep. Well, put the lights on. Don't stumble around in the dark. Don't want to open my eyes. Just aim me at the bed and give me a shove. I'm not going to let you sleep until you undress properly and unpack the luggage. Oh, Blanche, why'd you have to bring so much stuff? You've got as much stuff as I have. I have not. All I brought was my toothbrush and my overnight bottle. You and that bourbon. You wouldn't take five steps away from home without it. Well, I can still remember what happened when we got snowbound in that cabin. That wasn't so terrible. Oh, not much. I had to live for two weeks on nothing but food and water. Don't throw my things around like that. There's no closet. Where shall I put these dresses? In the drawer. Where do you want these drawers? In the dresser. Fold up your pants neatly and put them under the mattress. Okay. Well, take them off first. John, what a fool I was to think you'd change. The second honeymoon was just as big a mistake as our first one. Oh, no, it wasn't. I'm so sorry you made me go on this trip that I could just die. I didn't make you go. You shanghaied me. You even tried to get me to marry you again. Was that such an unreasonable request? Yes, it isn't legal. Why not? A man can't be punished twice for the same crime. Oh, that's too bad about you. How you shamed me in front of all my friends. And after I sent the invitations out, too. Well, I wasn't going to have any formal a wedding and put out a lot of dough to feed your hungry friends and their squalling brats. There wouldn't have been any brats there at all. How do you know? Because I said plainly on the invitation, Mr. and Mrs. John Bickerson will be married March 9th, no children expected. Put out the lights. I'm never going back to that horrible apartment we live in. I'm going to sit here and stare at the falls forever. Wouldn't hurt you to look at them either, John. I see them every day on the shredded wheat box. How can you be so cynical? I'm glad I have a little romance in my soul. Just the sight of those falls brings back memories. Mm, yeah. Sit up, John. Look at that cascade. Doesn't it remind you of something? Yeah. What, John? I think I left the water running in the bathtub. John, you didn't. Okay, I didn't. Good night, Blanche. I never should have trusted you to lock up. Now I'm really worried. Did you close all of the windows? Close the windows. You didn't leave any lights burning, did you? Uh, no. Did you leave food for the cat? Left enough for a week. What did you leave him? A six-pound tin of corned beef. Did you empty it into a plate? No. Well, how do you expect the cat to eat? I left the can opener on top. Stop worrying about the cat. We should have taken all the animals with us. Poor little canary locked in the cage. Cat can't get out of the house. And who is going to feed the goldfish? Oh, help that they're terribly unhappy. Oh, they're not unhappy. They're having a fine vacation. They are not. They are, too. When I left, the cat was fishing. Fishing? Where? In the goldfish bowl. He was using the canary for bait. John, pick 
person. Oh, go to sleep. The canary and the goldfish are fine, and I wish the cat would drop dead. Don't talk like that. I love that cat. When I get home, I'm going to enter him in a cat show. What for? He couldn't win anything. Maybe not, but he'd meet a lot of nice cats. Go to sleep, will you, Blanche? I'm not sleepy. Why don't you sit up and talk to me? Blanche, people don't talk at four in the morning. You talked until five o'clock on our first honeymoon. You kept reciting poetry and telling me how beautiful I was. Do you remember what you said, John? No. You told me your love for me was like a raging inferno. You said you had a fierce fire blazing in your breast like a live coal. What happened to it, John? It's only a clinker now. <laughs> How can you say such terrible things to me? Blanche, I'm so sleepy, I don't know what I'm saying. I'd like to hear you say things like that to Gloria Gooseby. Can't I even go to Niagara Falls without Gloria Gooseby? The only reason you didn't was because she wouldn't have you. What? You proposed to her 15 times before you proposed to me. You big second fiddle, you. I never proposed to Gloria Gooseby, and you know it. And the next time I see her, I'm going to punch her husband, Leo, right in the nose. What have you got against Leo? He's a better husband than you are. I'm sick of hearing that too. Leo Goosby is a cheap chiseling bum. He is not. He's more generous than you. Would Leo Goosby give you a new dress? No. Would he give you a new hat? No. Would he give you a mink coat? No. Would you give me a mink coat? No. Why should I give you anything? Leo wouldn't. Stop screaming. You'll wake up the whole hotel. Well, stop goading me. You want me to do nothing but fight, fight, fight. No, I don't. All I do is ask for proof you love me and you go into a tantrum. Blanche, what more proof do you want? I tell it to you a thousand times a day. I raise a new crop of freckles to spell out I love you. I painted it on all the Burma shave signs. Somebody's at the door, John. Honey, 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 honey! Madam, this is not a beehive. It's my bedroom. What are people wandering around in the halls this time of night for? Don't be so crabby. It's probably some nice little bride who can't find her husband. Maybe he's lost. He isn't lost. He's hiding. Put out the lights, will you, Blanche? I've got a vile headache. Nobody told you to yell your brains out. Good night. If you just stand here and look at the falls for a few minutes, your headache will go away and you'll sleep fine. Mm. Where does all that water come from? I once read it goes over at the rate of 346,000 gallons a second. John? Yeah? Are the falls higher on the American side or on the Canadian side? I don't know. I'll have to find out in the morning. What a majestic spectacle. I'm convinced there's nothing in the world like Niagara Falls. Except you, Blanche. Really, John? Why do you say that? Because you never dry up either. Good night, John. Sumner 
show down here. It's a Tom Sumner program, don't you know? Go on. Go on, get out of here. <laughs>